On this edition of the Scott Radley Show, we are going to be chatting about the city's budget deficit, or at least what's looming as a budget deficit. We know that it is going to be big. It's already at $23 million or something, and it could be growing. But what happens if the expected bailout from the federal or provincial government doesn't come? I mean, a lot of people are saying they'll help us out, but what if they don't? Or what if they only cover part of it? We're asking you, and we're talking about whether or not you would prefer to see cuts to service or big, potentially, tax increases. We're also going to be chatting about an area that is very relevant this weekend because the weather is supposed to be great. And people are going to want to get out and do planting, but can they go and get plants? And what about all the other stuff that goes along with that? Greenhouses have been taking a pounding with the coronavirus situation. We'll talk to someone who operates one of them in town about how they're trying to deal with everything and the effect it may have on you. And then we're going to be joined by Tyler Tyler Ternowski, who was a third round pick of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Why do we have a third round pick of the Tiger Cats instead of, say, the first round pick on? Because Tyler is a Hamilton guy picked by the hometown team and you don't get a better story than that. Unless you've got Tyler's story, which adds an extra layer of excellence to being picked. We'll tell you all about it. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. If you were with us yesterday, we were chatting with Ward 8 Councillor John Paul Danko about the city's difficult situation, not unique by any stretch, but as of the end of May or the beginning of May, I can't even remember now. Anyway, as of a certain point that we're getting close to, the city is about $23 million in the hole from revenues that were expected that aren't arriving it's the fault of really nobody. It's the fault of the situation. But that money ultimately is going to have to come from somewhere because, as you've heard on this show a number of times, provincial law precludes cities from running operating deficits. Cities can take on debt if they are building capital projects, but they can't run a deficit by hiring more people than they can pay for and just put the money into a debt or a deficit like you can do in the provincial or the federal government. You have to run an even budget. And so when this is all over, somehow Hamilton is going to have to find $23 million extra dollars. Now, the hope is, the belief from a lot of people is, that since every city pretty much across the country and town is going to be facing a similar problem, the hope is that the province or the federal government is going to swoop in, and since they're throwing around billions of dollars like it's nothing anyway, that they will bail out all the cities, that they will offer grants to make sure the cities can get out of this situation. And maybe that will happen. I mean, as I say, certainly the federal government and the provincial government have been spending wildly, I didn't, not even necessarily wildly in a bad way, just wildly. And so what's another few billion dollars, Would some might say, although it's more than a few billion dollars in all likelihood. But the other possibility that nobody really wants to talk about is that the higher levels of government say, we're, we're spent out. We, we just don't have the money to do this. And what happens then? Well, the city will probably have two options at that point. It would either have to significantly raise your municipal property tax. Remember we talked last, yesterday, the mayor of Nashville, Tennessee has put forward a budget looking at a 32% tax increase. 
So the city, if they don't get these transfer payments from higher forms of government, will either have to raise your property taxes, possibly considerably, or they will have to cut services. And I want to know from you today, which would be your preference? If that came to be, and we don't know yet what's going to happen, but if it came down to that, where the city was told, you know what, we may pay some of this, we'll cover some of this or all of it. But if that doesn't happen, if the city is told, I'm sorry, you're going to have to find a whole bunch of money to pay this off because again, you can't run a deficit. And even if we give you a little leeway, you've got to pay this back. Would you rather your taxes go up quite a bit or the services drop? to make that up. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. I'd like to hear what your choice would be. It's Neither one is a good option. Let's, let's not pretend otherwise. Neither one is a good option. Neither one do city councillors want to do because we know something about anybody who's in politics. They probably want to get reelected. And neither one of these things is the kind of move that makes voters really happy and leads to re-election, but we could be in a situation where there simply is no other choice, where we may be mad at the politicians, but this is a dish that's been handed to them to serve that they don't have a choice in. So would you rather see tax increases? Now, I, I find it very hard to believe that anybody would come forward with a tax increase of the magnitude of the one that's being proposed in Nashville, which really caught my eye, which was again, 32%. I I find it hard to believe that the city of Hamilton that already has some reasonably high, some would say very high municipal taxes is going to say, we're going to boost those by a third. Again, people, people probably would lose their minds, but let's say it was 10. Let's say it was 15%. Would you rather that? Or would you rather the city say, look, We have a choice to make. It's either that or we start to cut services and we go to what somebody proposed. What, uh, In fact, I think it was John Paul Danko. um, Now that I think of it proposed some months ago, which was go to once every two weeks, traffic, uh, or sorry, garbage collection, or we do other things we cut back or we increase user fees at arenas or increase late fees for library books, or we, you pick your, pick whatever it is, but make cuts reduce staff, what would you rather do? What would be your preference if the city was stuck and had to pick one or the other? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. As far as I'm, I, I, my choice is absolutely clear and there's not even any hesitation. I would start, I'd say start cutting. I would absolutely say start cutting and I'll tell you why. We have a lot of people in this city already who have purchased homes, have owned homes for a long, long time. And as the value of properties has gone up, so has their taxes, but they're on a fixed income. So yes, their house is worth a lot more, but that's by coincidence. That's by fluke. That's by a pleasant coincidence, but they may have bought the house for an awful lot less than it's worth right now. You start hammering them with much higher taxes. How do they pay those taxes? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We uh, have heard in recent days about the city of Hamilton being 23 million behind in revenues thanks to coronavirus and the lockdowns and the economy and everything else. And we've now heard yesterday the federal government is expected to run a $252 billion deficit this year. The provincial government numbers haven't come out, but expect it to be enormous as well. And so all of this 
at least in my mind, raises some doubts about the hopes and the expectations that the feds or the province is going to swoop in when this is all over and simply wave its magic wand and say that all the problems that the municipal governments have with their money is going to be gone. We'll just cover it, whatever, because there's a lot of cities. There's a lot of towns. That's a lot of money. So my question to you is, we don't know how this is going to go, but if the province and the federal government say, you know, we'll make cover some of it, or we're not covering any of it. But if the city of Hamilton is on the hook to make some of this money up, they've got two choices, cut services or significantly increase property taxes, unless there's a third one that I'm missing. And I don't think I am. Which would be your preference? Cut services or increase taxes? Tony joins us today. Tony, how are you? Hi, Scott. How are you doing? I'm kind of agreeing with you, cut, 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 but let, let's look at it another way. Sure. Uh, the government, the federal government is uh, saying they owe, uh, they were bragging that they had a 30% uh, uh, debt on their uh, debt load. So $700 million, uh, billion, dollars, that's, you, that's your $25 billion that, uh, that they're in a hole. Uh, this, uh, and if... If they are expecting to get some money out of the average Joe, uh, if if you go for the spe- uh, information that's going on, people are already debt in debt, one hundred and seventy eight percent. Yes, I know that's you're, you're, it, It's a lot to ask people to pay more in taxes, especially when I think we can realistically expect some things to be going up in price after this because companies have lost a lot of money. Um, you know, Tony, the sad part is I don't think we can get away from the fact that there's going to have to be some sacrifice somewhere. It's just a question of which sacrifice you want to make. Okay, let's, let's go for who's going to sacrifice. Okay. They want us to do with less. I'm a pensioner, and yep. I've, I've already lost my cost of living many years ago, courtesy of U.S. Steel, but anyways. Okay. And, <laughs> and uh, now let's look at these politicians. The, uh, the federal government, they just still got their raise on the 1st of April, and uh, they got their cost of living that. The uh, city people, uh, they got their raise. How about these politicians, like you, the a lot of uh, average Joe working, uh, part-times, uh, whatever, they're, they're making so much money. But the politicians themselves... They're making a pretty healthy sum. They're into the six figure. There's a lot of people. Tony, you're right. I got to go to the next call, but you're absolutely right. And you, you know, your point is a valid one. I've read and heard a lot about private sector workers who have had to take a cut in pay or something else. Uh, is there any reason why public sector workers could not be asked to do the same thing? And I know that anyone who works in the public sector right now is probably blanching at that one. But, you know, it's it, we got to be realistic I'm, about this right now. Yeah, but I'm talking management. Well, I'm talking everybody. I'm talking to everybody. Tony, thank you for the call. I got to run, but thank you so much for calling. Let me go to Kim. Kim joins us on the line now. Kim, how are you tonight? Hey, hi, Scott. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, Fantastic. Sitting in the sun and uh, having a glass of wine. Oh, man, you're living the dream. And I mean, the the debt explosion that we just been through, and I mean, this was coming before the coronavirus. I mean, the worldwide debt was $240 trillion. Yeah, I mean, it was. Not, government. This has um, exacerbated it, no question, but you're right. Right, and so what they're doing is covering up the debt with more debt. It's that simple. They're monetizing the debt. 
But getting to this, getting to our local uh, issue here is, let's face it, the city had ample opportunity to have cutbacks a long time ago and, and to get the efficiencies in. They haven't done a good job. I worked in the service department at DeFasco, and I was told many times that I was going to reduce service by 10%, figure it out. That's what they have to do. They have to start it, doing their job. And if the hard questions like pension, you have to deal with it. You have to yeah, look at all these things. Because Kim, thank you for the call. Money. Yeah, no, we don't. Thank you for the call. I want to get Michelle in very, very quickly here. Thank you for calling. Let me go to Michelle. We've got a few seconds left here. Michelle, how are you tonight? I'm good. Which um, way would you go um, on this, cuts or taxes? I would reject both proposals. What would I be think, your option then? Um, I think that everyone needs to sit down and start talking so you can hear all the voices, how it is for everyone. Michelle, thank, thank you. i got to go to a commercial break, but thank you so much for that. That's I appreciate your call. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that uh, that the federal government or anyone else is going to just accept talking over 23 million or whatever it is. But you know what? Look, it, it, there is no good option here. There really is no good option, but I, I will throw that one out that so many people in the private sector have taken some cuts and taken a haircut because they have no other option to keep their company afloat. They have no other option. Well, now it's the government that we have to keep afloat. Perhaps there should be a serious discussion about public sector workers, public servants, public sector workers, politicians, everybody saying, all right, now it's our turn. No layoffs if we can help it, but maybe we all take a 10% for the next year or the next couple of years to help get this down. I don't think that's going to go over very well, but I think it's a discussion we may have to have. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. As you've probably been listening to the weather, I was looking at the weather reports for this weekend. It is supposed to be lovely for the most part. Lovely, warm, mostly sunny. And you know what that means? People who have been locked in their homes like self-quarantined prisoners who now see the sun and feel the warm are going to be itching to get outside. And that, for many of them, means itching to start planting their gardens. That's a good thing. However, uh, you've likely seen stories over the last number of weeks about the devastation this coronavirus lockdown has had on certainly some nurseries. At Easter, we just saw these stories of growers who were simply throwing away tens of thousands of dollars of product because they couldn't sell it. They couldn't get it to store stores. They couldn't do anything with it. Now, we did hear good news today. We heard that the Premier is loosening the rules on the economy a bit, and one of the areas that has been seemingly given the green light to begin, well, ramping up, I suppose, in a sense, although I I think they've still been working all through this time, but nonetheless, one of the areas that's been allowed to start ramping up again is greenhouses and nurseries. So what does that mean to you? When can you start getting plants and start planting? Because believe me, tomorrow morning, there's a whole lot of you that are going to be just chomping at the bit to get out there. Paul Voss is with Voss Floral on Carlisle Road in Freelton. He joins me now. Paul, how are you today? Yeah, hi. Hey, Paul, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Excellent. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, appreciate Um, the chance, yeah. it, uh, It sounds like, anyway, from what we've seen on a lot of the newscasts, that for a number of many, I don't know, most nurseries, most growers, this has been just about a worst case scenario. Is that a fair statement? A uh, very fair statement. Yeah, yeah. The uh, 
Um, yeah, the hardest part, well, yeah, right before Easter shipping was, was when, uh, you know, middle of March, late March is when, when the whole shutdown started. And that's kind of when all the, um, all the Easter pl- flowers like lilies, hydrangeas, things that are, are grown specifically for Easter, uh, they were ready to ship. And it was, that was kind of exactly the time when, uh, when things got, got shut down pretty hard. What percentage for most growers or many growers, what percentage is Easter? Because it would seem like Easter would be a big chunk of what they bring in during the year. Easter is a is a uh, it's it's not near as big as Mother's Day, but for for ourselves, it's it's probably about ten percent of, of our, the year our annual for the wow. year. Yeah, yeah. And you must talk to other people who run other nurseries and other growers in the industry. I mean, how many of them right now are hurting? Oh, uh, in the greenhouse industry, a hundred percent of us are, are have been neg- negatively affected. It's uh, of course the for for us, our season doesn't start. March fifteenth, or, or you know, middle of March, when the coronavirus hit, our seasons start back in November and December, and even some even some of the crops a little bit earlier. So we plant all that stuff, like everything is you know, in order to have a crop ready for Easter, you've got to plant it four or five months in in advance. So all those gears are in motion, and when something happens like that, it I mean, yeah, it it uh, it, it puts a stop to everything that's been planned and and you know, ready to go for that season for that particular. Uh, you know, it's about a two-week window that the Easter shipping happens, and uh, that was yeah, that ended up being uh, very negatively affected. Paul, now I don't, I don't want to like make you give us an accounting statement of the business. I don't mean yeah, that, yeah, but yeah. when you say people are negatively affected, are we talking tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands? I mean, is it is it like hugely substantial that people it, are being it, hit it's with hugely this? Hugely substantial, like um, especially so. So, like I said, Easter is, is about a ten percent. I uh, hit for um, for for you know growers that do Easter. Not everybody does Easter, but almost everybody. Well, yeah, anybody who has a greenhouse is eight, you know most of like between seventy and eighty percent of the revenue uh, is is earned during uh, May and the first two weeks of June. So we're going into the season where it's it's you know it's it's a very large portion of almost all of our our annual revenue is geared for a four or five week sales period. And that's pretty much almost across the, uh, or yeah, pretty widely across the greenhouse industry, because Mother's okay. Day and, and and spring is such a big part of our business. Okay, so we're now getting into that period. We're now getting yeah. into the hardcore planting season. Are yeah. is there an opportunity for growers to catch up for what they lost, or is this basically a lost year and everyone's now just hoping to maybe break even? There's an opportunity to catch up as long as as things are. People are are extremely eager to garden. Like um, we saw that at Easter, as soon as as you you give away for people to get plants into their hands, they want them, and uh, it's just a matter of of things being, yeah, figuring out a way for people to get the plants that they want to put in the garden. That's the, that's the, the tough part. And and I, I'm reading through the uh, the announcements that were made today, and it's still you know it, it seems to be the garden center and nurseries that they're. The, the plans that the, the uh, government comes came up with seems to be some of the same ideas still curbside pickup and delivery, which I understand the safety part of it, but uh, the being able to move volume of plants is is, uh, is a lot trickier with curbside pickup and delivery. It's it's a whole different uh, way for people to get plants that you know the hey, plants are quite quite often a hands-on experience, right? They want to see them and yep. and, and be able to smell them and and see exactly what they're getting. So it's. Uh, 
well, it's a silly question, perhaps, because I'm I'm not a grower, and and I uh, my thumb is anything but green. I I kill anything that I touch. Nonetheless, um, do most growers, do most people in the business have lots of different diversity of things? In other words, like if we go through a an Easter that's bad, do they have five or six other moments down the year when they can really do well, or do a lot of people? It is all for this five weeks, really, and and boy, we better be open, or this is going to be a disaster. I, I know for our for our business personally, um, it, it it needs to be open in May, and and uh, it, it's it's I mean the greenhouse is a really tough business model, because um, it, uh, in order to like yeah people do gardening well when do you garden you garden in May you know as soon as as soon as the weather turns nice and you're not going to get fro- frozen out anymore, that's when people want to garden. So every greenhouse over the years has learned that there's no use trying to grow stuff in, in the seasons when people don't want it or can't get it. So, yeah, we've, you know, the business model has changed that everybody, you know, or the larger, large percentage gears things to, to grow into May because that's when the market is there. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking about, well, this weekend, really, it's supposed to be beautiful. And that means people are going to be wanting to get out and doing what they normally would do as soon as May rolls around and the weather turns nice, and that is planting stuff, getting their gardens going. Well, that's nice, and that's a good thing to do, of course, but the growers who are the ones who get these plants into your hands that you're going to plant, they've been having a hard time with what's been going on with everything. Paul Voss is with Voss Floral on Carlisle Road out in Freelton. Um Paul, I understand that you guys, you're, you're fortunate that you have corporate clients uh, for your, some of your product. Have they been yeah. taking shipments or has everybody canceled because it's difficult to get people into the stores to buy this stuff? We've, uh, we've got one big box retailer that's been, been extremely, uh, extremely good for us. Um, and that's, that's really been showing us the, the, that the, the demand that is, I mean, there's a lot of pent-up energy out or pent up demand. I mean that that people uh, people want plants. Like we've, uh, um, yeah, the 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 demand we've seen this week. As soon as the weather is nice, it's been it's been extremely busy, you know. But there's there's a limited amount of of stores and 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 uh, right. nurseries that are allowed to sell. So that's that's the the tough part. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of other greenhouses that aren't able to to ship things because the, yeah, the stores that they deal with aren't aren't being allowed to be open. Let me ask you another silly question that goes along with that then, uh, because um, is there anything else you can do? We saw at Easter that, that the growers, some of them just had to discard the plants. Is there anything you can do with these once they are ready uh, beyond their intended purpose? If they're not purchased, do they have to go in the garbage or is there anything else you could possibly do with them? Uh, no, <laughs> no, they're just garbage. They're, they're garbage. I mean, they're, yeah, they, uh, they're, they're not edible plants. They're not, uh, you know, and, and yeah, they've got a, a shelf life, right? The, the, you can, um, yeah, they just keep getting bigger, bigger and, and, but they, yeah, there's, there's a season that people are going to want these plants. And once that season passes, then, then it's not, uh, you know, there, there's no real other viable option. It's, that's what we saw at, at Easter, like the Easter lily, right? As soon as Easter's done, then people don't want Easter lilies anymore. So and you've got limited space, so you've got to move those out so you can start your next thing. Start your next crop, and that that's another big concern for the industry too. Is is what do we? Do? So we've been uh, we've been getting phone calls. Like we have a lot of stuff booked for for fall and for Christmas, and and you know a lot of the the stores and and the and and the uh, 
you know, even long term, they're saying, well, we're not sure if we're going to put poinsettias in the stores at Christmas. So, you know, and this is all stuff that we're planning now. Mm. You know, it's got the same thing. These plans all have to be done, you know, six to eight months ahead of time. So if we're starting to get cancellations now, then you look forward going, yeah, what does is, what is the next season look like in the next season? So it, uh, these things kind of pile on top of each other. Paul, uh, it's been difficult to keep track because so much money has been flying around, but in the in the buyout power, the bailout packages that have been offered by either the federal government or the provincial government, has there been money in there for nurseries? N- no, not not specific. Well, the, I mean, the 40000 uh, for every business that uh, with a certain amount of payroll, right? Like the that one's there, and and the uh, um, the the payroll help if if you, you if your sales are less in, in certain months. But that's you know that's across all businesses. But there's been nothing, to my knowledge, of of specific uh, for for the you know the growing industry. Will that cover your costs? None. Yeah, not even close. <laughs> okay. I mean, and, and many yeah, and, no, and the reason. The reason yeah. I ask is because many nurseries, as I understand it, there may be some giant industrial corporate nurseries, but many of these are family-run operations or smaller yeah. things that, that you know that don't have an enormous slush fund to dip into to keep going. No, oh, and that's the, the majority. I mean, I, the, I've been a large percentage of, of greenhouses are, are family businesses. Like ours, for instance, my dad, you know, my dad started over 50 years ago. And it's you know my brother and I bought it from him, but at uh, yeah it's it's a family it's a family thing, right? It's, it's something that you grow up in, and uh, but yeah it's never it's ne- it's never something I don't know if too many of them that too many growers that do it to uh, to get rich. It's always to you know to to earn a lifestyle and and earn a uh, a living, but it, it's more uh, yeah it's it's a it's a work of of joy rather than. You know, the, the uh, yeah. So there's there's not yeah. It's not uh, there's not a lot there. So do you it's, see some going out of business then? I mean, can, is that realistic? I, it, it's definitely realistic. Yeah, it, it's it's because May is such a big part of every you know of most of the greenhouse businesses. It, it uh, if you lose a May, it's it's uh, it's it's devastating. All right, last thing, because we're short on time, unfortunately, Paul, but um, for, for people who are listening, now, of course, everyone, we don't like to think that it's all about us, but of course, it's always all about, it's all about yeah, us. Everybody's, um, when, uh, yeah. Yeah, we all look out for ourselves. I mean, that's yeah. natural. When I go to buy plants now to plant the garden or whatever else, am I going to see the same prices I've traditionally seen, or do the growers have to increase the prices to try and survive? Are we going to see higher prices for these things this year? So far, what I've seen out there is, is not higher prices. I think... Uh, it, it, you know, we're, we're, we'd all be happy to get the same prices is, is, uh, is, is pretty much, you know, and, huh. and just a matter of, of moving everything that we have is, is, uh, is, is more the priority as opposed to trying to get more money out of it. Paul Voss of uh, Voss Floris, uh, Floral, Voss Floral. You can find them on Carlisle Road. Do you guys have walk-up or anything, or is it just, uh, uh, yeah, can anyone do road, that? We've got a roadside stand and we've got a, a website, vossfloral.ca. Go check it out and uh, help them out. If you're looking for some flowers, there you go. You can uh, you can help them out and you can help yourself out. Paul, appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last night at eight o'clock, well, a little after eight, the CFL, the Canadian Football League, had its annual draft, which I'm glad they did it because you know there's questions about the NHL draft and the NFL or the NBA draft and. The NFL drafted theirs and they did it uh, online like the CFL. But anyway, I'm glad it went off because there's a lot of guys that have been playing Canadian football and university and elsewhere. And, you know, you want them to have their moment. 
And one of those guys who had their moment had his name called by the Hamilton Ticats in the third round. And the beauty of this is that he's a Hamilton guy. He was called by the hometown team, which I think is pretty darn cool. His name is Tyler Turnowski, and he joins me now. Tyler, congratulations. Hey, how's it going? Congratulations. That's fantastic. That must be very exciting. Thank you very much. That is very exciting. Tell me about yesterday. Did you know the Ticats were taking you? Did you know they were high on you? Um, I honestly thought after the second round, after the 17th pick, I thought I was going to go somewhere else other than Hamilton. So I, uh, I was kind of getting a little nervous, but when the third pick came, third round pick came, I, I kind of had the feeling I was going to Hamilton. Was just, and just seeing my name on the screen was just huge, and all my family just erupted, and we were so excited. Where were you? How, where were you watching, and who was all there? And what, tell, describe a little for me of what the scene was yesterday. Uh, we were at my uh, place in Waterloo, and my uh, parents came down, my uh, dad and my stepmom and my mom and my stepdad. And I was here with my girlfriend and uh, Dion Pallarin and uh, his girlfriend, and we were all just uh, watching the draft together. And you had been ranked uh, as high in the in the CFL scouting uh, service as the 17th overall pick. So uh, you went 27th, but it, when 17 comes and goes – is it nerve-wracking? Is it when you're sitting there waiting? Is it is it tough to watch? Um, it's not it's not as tough to watch. It's just more nerve-wracking. It's um, kind of just being able to see the mock drafts and all the um, other like top prospect lists. It's uh, you kind of get your mind set on oh, this is kind of where I'm going to go, and then when it doesn't happen, you can't just let it uh, can't just um, give up hope on it, and you just got to wait. The time would come, and obviously, my just my time was in the third round, so I was extremely happy about that too. So, as the first round is going by, and I, you know, some people had thought maybe the first round, but okay. So, when you get into the second round, was every single time there was going to be a pick? Was there just a hush, and everyone saying, "Be quiet, we got to hear this"? Oh yeah, a little bit. Just, yeah, just again looking at the projections, uh, second to third round. So that was kind of when everyone was a little quieter and paying a little more attention, but. You know, it was good to see some of the guys I trained with, like Sam Atchapon, go. Excited for that guy. He'll do great in Toronto. And then just have my name called in the third round is a blessing. Now, you're probably not going to tell me the answer to this directly because I'm guessing you don't want to start your CFL career by ticking off entire cities. But um, in general, even if you don't tell me which city, was there a team that you really did not want to go to? Was there any one of the nine that you were hoping you weren't going to? Um, not that I was hoping to go to, obviously I would just have like, um, uh, just a kind of a hierarchy of a list of where I wanted to go, All right. kind of the best fit, but yeah, just like, obviously there's better fits than other places Like Hamilton's obviously just a great fit for me. So were there a couple times then when they went by and they didn't take you and you went, Whew, okay, go, okay. I'm okay with that. Oh yeah, a couple times. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I believe that most guys won't be honest. I believe that always, no matter what league they're going into, there are teams that certain people just are like, you know what, that's probably not ideal for me. And there's a, mm-hmm. they're not too disappointed, even if it means a spot or two later. They're like, okay, I can live with that. I can yeah. live with that. <laughs> um, you mentioned Waterloo. You went to University of Waterloo. That's where you... Um, that's where you really got noticed. Uh, tell the story a little bit because you were a guy who in Hamilton in high school at, uh, uh, where were you again? Alan McNabb, right? Yeah, Sir Alan McNabb. Sir Alan McNabb. So you were there. You had been pretty highly recruited 
initially, and then all of a sudden the floor just fell out from under you. Explain the story of how that happened. Yeah, so um, I was um, going into my grade 12 year, and that summer I decided to join the Hamilton Ironman just for a rep league, just to kind of get my name out there to universities, get more exposure. And I was kind of blowing it up in the first uh, few games of our season. And then on the fourth game, I unfortunately broke my kneecap right in half. <laughs> oh. And um, that chatter of the, all the universities coming around, talking to me and getting phone calls kind of stopped. And everyone kind of dropped me off the radar just because of, that was kind of a big injury. I was out for like eight weeks. And um, going into my grade 12 year, I didn't have like that much exposure other than just McMaster and uh, Waterloo showing some interest. And then which once, were uh, which at that time, Tyler. Let me just jump in for one sec. Which at that time um, were two ends of the spectrum because McMaster has been a powerhouse now in the OUA for a number mm-hmm. of years. But back then, I mean, Waterloo had its troubles. Most people know the story. It was just climbing off the floor and getting back up off the mat. So you're talking about two extremes mm-hmm. here. Oh yeah, it was completely different. Um, like uh, opportunities at each place. McMaster, I could go in and I knew I, there was going to be a winning culture there. They had a winning culture um, already. And um, Coach Potasic would have been a great coach to coach under. And it was kind of, um, I was kind of relieved when I didn't go to Mac when I saw that he left. So that was kind of a relief factor. Everything worked out. But um, yeah, I just knew that uh, McMaster was stacked that receiver that year with like Peterman and stuff and, and the other players like that. So, and I knew at Waterloo I could get a chance to play right away just because obviously problems in the past and just picking up in that rebuild stage. Do you think though that um, it, it was more difficult to get noticed? I mean, obviously you did and you played really well, so you forced yourself to be noticed, but was it harder to get noticed at a school and at a program that had really been in tough times? Um, to be honest, I would say for me to get noticed, it was probably easier just because of what a school was doing and having someone like have a lot of uh, productivity and kind of a young player showing that productivity. It's kind of like, oh, okay, this is why we're getting some new players like they're in the future. Once these guys develop, we'll be good. And it was kind of like that kind of the ball started rolling with like the OAL rookies and, um, but I feel like at McMaster, if I went, I would have been a backup. I wouldn't have been. I would have like com- competed for a starting position, obviously. But I probably just been, would have been on the active roster in my first in my first to like second year. So I just knew that I had an opportunity at Waterloo, and I believed in what Bert told me and where he wanted to bring the program and the opportunities I would have. And, and you know what? And I guess to your point about it being easier, I, I suppose. Uh, Waterloo had been, prior to you arriving, Waterloo had been so bad for so long that when you start having success, I'm guessing probably a whole lot of people then decide to come out and watch just to see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Like, in our in my first year, um, our black and gold day, the big kind of, like, homecoming event, um, we're blonde to rugby. Like, the rugby the rugby game had a priority over football. And that, <laughs> so that, that kind of rubbed us the wrong way. So in our second year, when we got uh, Trey Ford and Gordon Lamb and Tyrell and Spencer Andrews and that kind of second wave of, like, awesome recruits, we started winning again, and we came out 4-4. Four and four, And that year, the black and gold day was um, for football, and it was a huge success. Like I think we had, like, 8,000 fans out or something crazy. It was just awesome. It just dawned on me, and I, 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 I should have thought of this before, but uh, the colors are going to work perfectly for you, going from black yeah, and I gold know. to black and gold. Yeah, for sure. Black and you gold. You don't even have to change T-shirts. Then, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's 
crazy. <laughs> Um, it was though, the, the other side of this that I thought might be more difficult, even though, you know, I, you've shown what you can do on the field. And as I say, you had a great career in university, um, uh, because of what was going on, you had your combine canceled, right? Mm-hmm. So for, for those who don't know the combine, the CFL combine, it's the NFL does it too. Players come out and they go through all kinds of standing broad jumps and bench press and all kinds of other things. Just basically what Tyler, to show your, not your football sense altogether, but your athleticism. Yeah. And just mainly your athleticism, like explosiveness, power, speed, agility, stuff like that. And you know, it's, it's one of those things that a lot of times people say, why do they put so much faith in the combine as opposed to when you've watched a guy play four years of university football, but for whatever reason they do. And so I thought, you know what, maybe if you lose that opportunity, that's going to hurt you, but clearly it didn't hurt you too much. No, I think that the player that I had, that I was and the exposure I had, um, allowed me to have the film and have that kind of opportunity to show teams that I can play football and I can prove that I can play football just with my stats and kind of where I help take the Waterloo program. So I think team, my agent just said teams have a lot of faith in film, like film doesn't lie. Mm. And um, like you can be a freak athlete in the gym and still not be a good football player. So like the scouts, like the scouts will look at your film and analyze that, and then they take your measurables at the combine, and then they see what they can kind of produce in a few years. So what have you been able to do for the last month or so? Like, are you able to even work? I mean, the season is going to maybe. So we don't know what the, what uh, we don't know when the season's going to start. If the season's going to start, but have you been mm-hmm. able to do anything, or are you just locked in the house? Uh, fortunately, my uh, parents, my both my mom and my dad have dropped off weight. Um, both their partners have uh, kind of a weight set, an older uh, York weightlifting set with like a bench and stuff and kind of the old bars. And my dad just dropped off last night a new set of like kind of a new bar and newer newer weights. So <clears throat> I can get a pretty good weighting uh, workout in here with like 400 pounds in free weights. So so is your living room then just become a weight room? Yeah, no, it's actually in the uh, garage. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't know if the house had become a gym inside the house. <laughs> um, we got to go in just a moment here, but I mean, you are not a, you're not a huge guy. I mean, you're not tiny. You're what, six feet tall, 185 or 90 pounds. But mm-hmm. um, what do you do? How do you prepare now when you, when you know that you're going to be going out whenever football starts again and the guys are faster and the guys are definitely bigger than you have been facing a lot of the time? What do you do to prepare yourself for that now? You know, I've I've always been kind of an undersized receiver, just even at the university level, and I just have to go in to uh, camp with the same mentality I came into university with, just like a competitive drive, like don't let anyone get in my way. Like I might not be the biggest guy, but like don't don't let that um like don't let another person's perception of you intimidate you. You know what I mean? It's like make your impact on them, get in their head, get in their face. And that's kind of like what I like to do. I'm aggressive. I'm an aggressive receiver with catching the ball and blocking. So just stuff like that. Uh, were you a Ticat fan growing up? Oh yeah. I played as the uh, East Mountain Ticats in the HMFA. Perfect. For, Perfect. For well, there you yeah. go. So you used to go to games at Iverwin or mostly just watched on TV or? Oh no, Iverwin all the time. Wow, yeah, there you go. All the time. And did you ever imagine you'd be playing there for the Ticats? I dreamed about it, and now it's, now it's coming true. So 
That's excellent. Tyler <laughs> Ternowski, the Ticats draft pick, Hamilton guy, and that's it's a great story. It's it's great anytime somebody gets drafted from around here, but to be drafted to the hometown team is uh, is outstanding, especially with the background that uh, and the story you had to get used had to take to get there. Tyler, listen, I appreciate the time and congratulations again. Thanks for doing this. No, thanks for having me. That is Tyler Ternowski, uh, third round pick of the Ticats, and I'm telling you. Uh, I said this to Bill Kelly this morning. We were talking. Watch for that guy. He is an outstanding receiver. Uh, again, a little bit undersized. He'll tell you that himself. He did tell you that himself. Uh, but this is a guy that could be a a real great pick by this team. He has a chance. I really believe that. He has a chance to be really, really good at this level. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.